I'm pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, the last two podcasts have been all about R&D vocabulary, the, the terminology that we use in R&D, and I was sharing with all of you. Um, and I got through a lot of it, but not all of it. So we're going to pick up where I left off today, and I think we're going to finish today. It's the plan that we're going to finish today. Okay, so I left off at Parasitic. So we're up to R, Ravenloft. So Ravenloft, or not Ravenloft, Rivendale. Sorry, Rivendale. I wrote down the wrong thing. Rivendell is a meeting room near R&D. Uh, it is named after a D&D. D&D named it. Um, the funny thing about Rivendell, what, the story I want to tell is, so what happened was when we made the meeting rooms originally, we named them, and then the artists went and got different images and stuff to put up on the wall. So, like, we had um, Wayne Manor, which had Batman imagery, and we had Graceland, which had Elvis imagery. Um, but Ravenloft, uh, I'm sorry, Rivendell, Rivendell, um, I think the people who did the decorations just didn't know what it was. Um, it's a D&D reference. But anyway, it has like a map of Puerto Rico on it with um, like these, these cut out doll figures. Like I don't, I don't even know what it represents, but it clearly does not represent anything to do with its source material. Uh, and every time I'm in that room, I always look at the wall and I'm trying to figure out like, what, what were they thinking? What were they trying to do? Um, but anyway, uh, the, anyway, that's my, my Rivendell story. Okay, next, reanimation. Uh, that is what R&D refers to as taking a creature out of a graveyard and putting it in play. Um, so uh, we don't think, like Ray's dead, things that get it from your, grave, from your graveyard to your hand, we don't refer to as reanimation. Reanimation means it's dead and now it's alive. It's alive. Uh, that's reanimation. So you, you, Okay, next, rummaging. So rummaging is, um, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago we decided that we wanted to add looting to red. If you remember looting, uh, I, I referred to this last time, is the ability in blue to draw some number of cards and then discard some number of cards. We refer to that as looting. Um, so we decided to give it a red, but we wanted to change it up a little bit and, and make it have a little more of a red flavor. So what we did is red first discards, then draws. It's a little more reckless in how it does it. It has a little less choice in it, where blue's a little more thoughtful, you know, blue being the color of, uh, of careful selection. So red will, you know, where blue will draw a card and discard a card, red will discard a card and draw a card. Uh, and we refer to that as rummaging. Um, we called it red looting for a while, and eventually it ended, we ended up sort of calling it rummaging. Um, it's, I'm not sure why. I mean, it's one of those things where I don't know why we, we changed from red looting to rummaging, but uh, I guess rummaging was a fancier word. I, I don't know. Shards. So shards are, um, oh, and also known as arcs, are the three colors that uh, are all consecutive on the color wheel. So, for example, that would be green, white, blue, or white, blue, black, or blue, black, red, or black, red, green, or red, green, white. Um, we originally used to call those arcs, because they, if you sort of took a line and traced them, it looks like an arc. Um, but then we made shards of Alara, and in shards of Alara, the shards were three-colored uh, worlds, or, you know, portion. The, the world of Alara had been sh fractured into five shards. Um, and then also the shards got named. People now refer to the shards as they were in um, that set. So, um, green, white, blue is Bant. White, blue, black is Esper. 
Uh, blue, black, red is Grixis. Red, green, white is Jund. And green, white, blue is Naya. Um, so, is that right? Did I say that right? Sorry. Green, white, blue is Bant. Oh, did I, I, I think I got them off. Green, white, blue is Bant. The white-centered one is Bant. Blue-centered one is Esper. Black-centered one is Grixis. Red-centered one is Jund. Green-centered one is Naya. So I guess Naya is the red, green, white. Anyway, so... Um, but anyway, we refer to those as shards. So we talk about having a set with shards in it, um, or like I said, arcs or shards. Next, skulking. So skulking is a mechanic uh, first appeared on Skulking Ghost, which says, um, if I'm ever the target of a spell or ability, sacrifice me. Um, originally was, Skulking Ghost was in Mirage, I think. Uh, and the flavor was that, like, just a ghost, it's wispy. If you happen to... To pay attention to it, it's, it's so wispy it will go away. You'll, you'll, you'll frighten the ghost away. Um, we later moved the ability in blue as an illusion flavor, which is, oh, this thing. Oh, it's scary and daunting. But if you ever really try to challenge it, it poof, it's, it's just an illusion. Um, and so the ability has moved over to illusion. We still, sometimes we call it the illusion ability now, although skulking is sort of stuck in just... Um, a lot of nicknames in Arnie are literally just the first creature that did the ability, if we do the ability a lot. First creature was Skulking Ghost, we call it Skulking. Okay, next, Soft Counter. So I talked about Hard Counter last time. So a Soft Counter is a counter spell in which you're not guaranteed to get any spell. Uh, there's a couple reasons for this. One might be it only counters a subset of spells. You know, counter target instant or counter target creature. Uh, it could be something in which um, your opponent could do something. So like, counter-target spell unless they pay three. Well, they could pay three. Um, it could be something... You know, the, basically, the idea of a soft counter is you're not guaranteed of getting necessarily every spell. Like a hard counter, is if I have a hard counter in my hand and, and my opponent wants to cast a spell, it doesn't matter what it is. I can stop anything. It can stop any spell. A soft counter is like, well, you know, it can, it can stop certain subsets or maybe it can stop anything conditionally, but... A soft counter means it's not a guarantee that you'll stop the spell. Okay, stalking. So stalking is another one like skulking. So uh, this comes from Stalking Tiger, which I think was also in Mirage. Stalking Tiger uh, was a 3-3 that can only be blocked by one creature. And this is an ability we use, we use often enough that we nicknamed it. Um, usually it goes in green. It basically goes on larger creatures and it says, hey, 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 I can't be blocked by more than one thing. So, like, for example, on a 3-3, three, three, it's like, oh, well, you can't just block with a couple 1-1s one, or a 2-2 two, a two, two and a 1-1 one, one or something. You know, you actually have to have a singular creature with 3 power in order to block and kill this. I mean, you can chump it, obviously. Um, so, but anyway, uh, people ask a lot of times whether we'd ever make stalking into a keyword. Uh, we've talked about it. It's the kind of thing that we don't quite use just enough to make into a keyword. Um, but I could imagine... I could imagine, I could imagine a time where we did. Um, I don't know. It's 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 one of those things that we've done for a long time, like enough that it has a nickname, but that it no, it never quite, it's never quite um, got into like one of the things about keywords is you need to reach a certain level in order for the keyword to make sense to do, and it's it's never quite got to that level. I, I could imagine one day it being there, but it's not quite there yet. Okay. Storm scale. Okay, so the storm scale, uh, one day on my blog, and blog talk, my blog, um, somebody asked me about what's the likelihood of storm, the, the mechanic storm, coming back into a standard legal set. 
Uh, and what I said is, I said, well, I go, let's put it this way. Let's say there was a scale. And one on the scale was, oh, it's definitely coming back. And 10 on the scale is, I'm really, really, really skeptical it's ever coming back. On that scale, ten, storm would be a 10. And then someone wrote and said, oh, well, how about such and such? How would that do on the storm scale? And before you knew it, we invented a thing. So I used to, I do the storm scale on my blog all the time. And then I started writing articles on, um, I started writing articles on the website where I started doing storm scale articles. And what I'll do is I'll go back and look at old mechanics and talk about what's the chance of them being reprinted in the standard legal set. Um, but anyway, that is what the storm scale is. T. Um, here's a simple one. Um, people seem to like when we have terminology, letter terminology. So T we use for tap. Probably, uh, in fact, if you know the tap symbol, original alpha just said, spelled it out. It wasn't a symbol. Then for a while we had a T in a circle, a slightly, a slightly turned T in a circle. But then as we got into other languages, the T wasn't applicable. So we changed it to um, the card with the little arrow. Uh, and then now it's just, it just is the arrow. Um, so the tap symbol's gone through a bunch of different changes. Um, but anyway, when we type stuff out or write it on the board or whatever, T is just, T is the tap symbol. Um, I, I, last time I talked about how W was the white mana symbol and blue was the blue mana symbol and black was a black mana symbol and R was a red mana symbol and G was a green mana symbol. Well, um, and C was a colorless mana symbol. Uh, T is the tap symbol. So, uh, and we use, um, basically whenever we have a symbol, we'll always assign a letter to it. Like energy, for example, we used E to represent energy, which had a symbol and stuff like that. Next, threshold one. Um, a lot of people think this might have to do with the mechanic threshold, which interestingly, uh, so there's a certain style of mechanics we call threshold mechanics. And what a threshold mechanic, which threshold is a threshold mechanic, um, is a mechanic in which if you meet a certain condition, the card turns on. The card says, hey, if such and such is true, I get a bonus. I'm better in some way. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I have an extra ability. Something about me gets better if a certain condition is met. Um, I'm not sure whether we named threshold after the threshold mechanic um, or just that's the word to describe it and the same word made sense for threshold. I, I don't actually remember how, where it came about. Um, so threshold mechanic is any mechanic in which you get turned on if a certain condition is met. Threshold one is says, okay, I'm looking for something to turn me on, but I need only one thing to do it. I don't need a lot of things, just a singular thing. So for example, imagine a card that says, hey, if you have a bird, I have flying. So it's not looking for a lot of birds, it's just looking for a singular bird. The reason threshold one's important is, normally at lower rarities, um, we don't wanna make stuff that requires too much, like in, in limited, you know, we might want you to build um, tribal stuff, but we want to make sure it's limited, that it, it, it has some use. If I made a limited card that's like, you know, plus one, plus one for every goblin, um, then it's like, oh, I need a whole bunch of goblins to make this good. Where if I just say, hey, if I have one goblin, I now have haste or something. Okay, I don't, I can build my deck in which goblins matter, but they matter at a much smaller scale than if it, if it uh, what we call scaling abilities. In fact, I, I didn't write that vocabulary word down. Scaling means that you count something. So for example, if a creature said, I get plus one, plus one for every force you have in play, that's a scaling card. Um, and we put scaling cards in, but we tend not to put them in common. We're more likely to put threshold one cards in a common. 
it's raining, by the way. So you know what raining means? Rain means more content for you. Because for those that don't know, I, I tell this all the time, but Seattle drivers, for some reason, even though it rains all the time, drive very, very slow in the rain. Um, I don't know what it is. It starts raining and everybody... Um, and not even like real hard rain. I understand why you would slow down in really hard rain, but like, like the wispiest of rain. Today, today's kind of in the middle, but uh, anyway, I think I will have a longer drive. Um, and you notice I'm getting to the end of the alphabet, dun, 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 but I have a, I have a backup plan, so we're okay. Okay, Tuesday magic meeting. <coughs> so uh, every Tuesday uh, at 12.30, um, we have a meeting. And uh, it's, it's a meeting for anybody who wants to come who is, um, I mean, anybody at Wizards, uh, who uh, has an interest in magic. All of R&D comes, um, but we'll have other people from other sections of the company that are interested in magic. Brand people will come, digital people will come, um, just people from around, around that are just interested in different, and we always have different topics we talk about, so I think we, we post the topics ahead of time. So like today, we're going to talk about such and such. Um, it's a meeting where other sections will come in um, to talk about things that are going on. Um, but in, anyway, it is... Uh, every once in a while, people will abbreviate it to TMM, which took me forever to figure out what TMM meant until I realized it was Tuesday Magic Meeting. Um, but anyway, it is a, uh, we've had this meeting on Tuesdays for a long time. In fact, it predates our current building, which we've been in for 11 years. So it's, it goes back to the old building. So it, it is one of the older traditions. In fact... I think the Tuesday Magic meeting is older than almost all of the members in R&D. I think, I think I predate the Tuesday Magic meeting, but not a lot of people in R&D predate the Tuesday Magic meeting. Next, UEOT. See if you can figure out what that is. Uh, we'll write this all the time on the board when we're writing up cards. UEOT stands for until end of turn. So whenever you do an effect that has a duration that only lasts for the turn, it's, it, usually it's until end of turn. Um, and so we usually just write U-E-O-T because it's not worth writing the whole thing out. Okay, virtual vanilla. Okay, so I talked about a vanilla card with a creature that had no rules text. You know, it could have uh, flavor text and minor text, but no rules text. Then I talked about French vanilla, and that's a creature that could have creature keywords, but no rules text other than creature keywords. Now we get to virtual vanilla. So what a virtual vanilla is, it says, after the first turn in play, it is essentially a vanilla creature. Um, so, for example, let's say I had um, a 2-2 two -two in white that's like, 2-W-2-2, two -two, when it enters the battlefield, gain two life. Okay, well, the turn I play it, I gain two life. That does something. But then after that, just a 2-2, two -two, just a bear. You know, it's just... It, 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 so the idea of virtual vanilla, why these are important is it allows you to do things that have meaning and, and shake up the game a little bit, but when the dust settles, after the turn you're playing them, hey, they're just vanilla creatures that are a lot easier to track and understand what they do. Um, we also have virtual French vanillas, which is after the first turn, essentially, they're just a French vanilla creature. You know, it enters the battlefield and does something, um, but it's flying or whatever. That's a like, virtual French vanilla. Um, be aware that I consider haste to be a virtual vanilla. So if a creature only has haste, if you're a 2-2 with haste, um, I consider you a virtual vanilla. Be aware, and it brings this up. It's not that haste doesn't ever matter. If, for example, somebody steals a haste creature, they can attack with a haste creature the turn they steal it. But, once again, most things that steal grant haste, at least the instant stuff grants haste. So it's a pretty corner case that haste actually matters on a creature. 
So when I say virtual vanilla, I mean, yeah, basically it's vanilla. It's, if it's a, a tiny corner case that doesn't come up very much, I will still count that as virtual vanilla. Um, so the two keywords that are van virtual vanilla keywords, essentially, are haste and flash. Neither one of those really means things after the first turn you play them. Okay, Vorthos. So I talked about Melvin or Mel last time. So Vorthos is the other aesthetic profile. Talks about what people like in the game sort of aesthetically. Um, Vorthos is all about the flavor of the game. You know, they care very much about what do the cards represent and the card concepting and the art and the name and the flavor text. That they want cards dripping with flavor. Um, so Mel is very much about cards, you know, dripping with mechanical identity. Uh, Vorthos really, really gets into the flavor of it. And so if you make cards that are just really good representations of something, um, even if the card is a little messy in its mechanics, but it's just super flavorful, the Vorthos love that. Um, the Vorthos also tell people that are really into story. <coughs> a lot of time when I'll... I'll <coughs> one second. Um, talk about Vorthos, it's sort of talking about the people that are... Like, when we design magic... We design magic for all different types of players. And so the aesthetic profiles, that's another thing we keep in mind. You know, we want to make sure the cards are as flavorful as they can be and mechanically as, as tight as they can be. Um, but sometimes you lean one way or the other, and there are definitely cards that are more formal, that like, oh, it's, it's a really neat mechanical card, but ah, the flavor is nothing special. Or there's cards that are super flavorful, but a little wonky on the mechanical side. Um, so an example of each is... Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but there's a card in, um, we've done cards, for example, like I know we did a buyback scry card in um, Future Sight. All it has on it is buyback and scry. Um, from a mechanical standpoint, that's really neat. It just has two keywords, literally has two words on it, I mean, minus reminder text, it has two words on it. Um, but it's a really neat card that does neat things in interplay, you know, like, you're getting a lot out of that. Um, but the thing is, that card doesn't mean anything from a flavor standpoint. Both buyback and scry, scry means something, but buyback doesn't really mean much, and it really isn't, it isn't the most flavorful of cards. Meanwhile, take, um, what's it called? Uh, Form of the Dragon, which is you, the player, become a dragon, and it has all, all these different abilities, but one of them is kind of a moat ability, which really is out of place in red. It's super flavorful. You're a dragon. Of course, people that aren't flying can't attack you. You're a dragon that flies. Um, but it's a little disconnecting, and we sort of push things, and the Mel's of the world are like, ah, oh, this isn't an awesome card, but the Vorthos is like, this is awesome! So, you know, the Mel and Vorthos are just looking for different things. Okay, Wedge. So, Wedge is, uh... Let's talk about shards or arcs. Wedge is, uh, based on having uh, a color and its two enemies. Um, and so we did, Konzatark here was our, our first Wedge set. Um, so wedges, so, uh, white's enemies are black and red, and that's Mardu. Blue's enemies are black and green, and that's Sultai. Um, oh, I'm sorry, blue's enemies are white and red, that's Jeskai. Um, black's enemies are blue and green, that's Sultai. Uh, red's enemies are, um, uh, blue and green, that's Timur. And green's enemies are... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I messed it up. Black's enemies are white and green, and that's Abzan. Green's enemies are blue and black, and that's Sultai. Um, so wedges are just, that's the other. So there, there's ten three-color combinations. 
the shards and the wedges. That's only three. So either it's a color and their two allies or a color and their two enemies. Some people say, well, what about, um, how about a color and one of its allies and, and an enemy? And the answers are, the wedges actually are that if you reconfigure. That like, if you think about white and its two enemies, that's white, black, and red. But also, if you take from the center of black, well, black's ally red plus its enemy white. So um, the wedges actually, beside being a color and its two enemies, are also a color, one ally, one enemy. So that's why there's not a, another combination beside those ten. Okay, next, wizards. Um, so, for a long time, or not a long time, for a while, when I first got to wizards, the nickname that wizards had for itself was Watsy. W-O-T-C, Watsy. Um, and for a while, that's what we referred to ourselves. Eventually, we decided that was kind of confusing. Um, and, uh, I don't know, it, it, it didn't, it wasn't something that was clear to people. If we wrote W-O-T-C, people didn't know how to pronounce it. So if we then said Watsy, people didn't know what we were talking about. So we later decided to sort of shorten to Wizards. So now when I talk about uh, Wizards of the Coast, but I don't want to use the whole name, I'll say Wizards. I don't say Watsy anymore. But if you ever heard someone refer to it as Watsy, that's W-O-T-C, Watsy. That's, that's where Watsy comes from. Next, World Crafting. So World Crafting is a meeting. I talked about Card Crafting, uh, I think, two uh, podcasts ago. Card Crafting is a meeting every, every week where we talk about the crunchy details of um, design development. World crafting is the same thing, but for the creative stuff, for, for the creative team. The, uh, it's about issues about names and flavor text and story and card concepting and, um, you know, flavor of any kind. And so that meets once a week. And um, I actually I go to world crafting every week just because a lot of what design is doing needs to really stay up on what's going on with the flavor. So, um, I attend card crafting and world crafting. Uh, there are a few people that attend both, but actually it's, it's not, the overlap between card crafting and world crafting is not super high. Okay, that is the final thing I had. And so this, this whole podcast today was based on the article, A Few More Words with R&D, which recently came out uh, from your perspective. It hasn't come out from my perspective yet. I mean, I've written it. Um, but I knew uh, that I didn't have a, I was in a weird place yesterday where I didn't have enough time to get through the list but I didn't have enough time to leave enough of I didn't have enough of this left that I knew would last the whole time. So what I said is, I need a backup. So what I did is I went back to the previous thing, a few words with R&D, which is the first one I wrote. Uh, last time I went over the vocabulary from that first article that we still use. Um, but there's a bunch of vocabulary from that that either we use a little bit or we don't use, but there's funny stories. So I'm going to go back to the old list. So we're going to continue on. Uh, to finish out today with using some old vocabulary, some of which we use a little bit. So this first group are things uh, old-timers might use. I might occasionally use this, use this um, slang. It's not something that most of R&D uses, and so I didn't include it. Uh, it's not, in my mind, it's not really modern slang, but it is slang that occasionally can come up, although the most new people in R&D would not know this. Okay, first, Barokin, spelled B-A-H- hyphen R-O-K-E-N. So this slang came about, uh, so when I first got to Wizards, basically the magic team was four people, magic R&D. was me, Bill Rose, who's our current uh, VP of R&D, uh, Mike Elliott, and a guy named William Jockish. So um, William was probably the most developer-y of the four of us, um, and so he would do a lot of testing and things. And one day we were talking about some car and William had tested it. 
And he came back and he said, guys, we got to take this out of the set. And so somebody, let's say it was me, I go, why? He goes, I tested it. And so I said to him, oh, is it, is it broken? And he goes, no, it's broken. Uh, trying to imply it, it wasn't just a little bit broken. It was really broken. So broken stands for like, real, like, like what in the world is this doing in the file? You know, this is over the top crazy. This would just bend the environment in half. Um, and so we use it when we're talking about things that are like, usually something that's baroquin is something that like we were experimenting in a new territory or didn't quite understand or something, and we somehow, somehow a card got on the file that's just crazy overpowered. Um, development's a lot better these days, so the reason we don't use vocabulary is it doesn't, doesn't come up much. There's not many times that we actually make something because A, we have a better handle of how to make things, and B, we tend to catch them a lot earlier. So. It's less often you have something in the playtest that's just like crazy overpowered. Okay, next, a clever card. So this is a card that has two components to it that when they, they combine to do something, but they're all in the same card. So for example, um, uh, I know we have a basilisk with threshold, going back to Odyssey, but it, uh, I think this is where the term came from. So I wanted to make a card a threshold card. So threshold was, if you have seven cards in your graveyard, it turns on. I talked about threshold earlier today. Um, so the idea was, it was a basilisk. So it was a creature that destroyed anything blocking it. Um, and when you uh, got to threshold, it gained lure. So for those who don't know, early magic, back in alpha, there was a card called Thicket Basilisk. There was a basilisk that anytime it got blocked, um, it killed anything blocking it. And there was a separate card called Lure, that was a creature enchantment that said any creature, all creatures must block this creature. And so the combo of Basilisk and Lure killed all of your opponent's creatures that could block it. So I attack with it. Anything that can block must, anything that does block it would die. That's how the combo worked. So I was trying to make a card that, so, I mean, wasn't, it wasn't, it was a little different, but basically that combo, it would kill things that it, it uh, I think it killed things that damaged rather than just blocked it, but whatever. It killed things and the Lure, you know, it, it was a really good combo when I got set up. And I wanted to put it on the same card. And there was big fights. So like, no, no, no. What makes magic awesome is that the, the two abilities are on the same card. And um, you, know, you have to figure out how to put them together. And I go, no, oh, that's great. I, magic should I definitely do that. But I think it's okay sometimes to just have a card where like, okay, do the thing you need to do. And this card will be its own two-card combo. Uh, and they eventually put it in. It actually made it in the set. But they mocked me for it. And so R&D for a while called these clever cards. Uh, obviously, it was done, um, I mean, the name is sarcastic. Uh, and the idea of a clever card is it's a two-card combo all in one card. That the card says, hey, if you jump through this hoop, I'll give you the combo. But it doesn't require you to um, have two different cards. It's all in one card. Um, the reason this terminology is probably not used is not that we don't make them anymore, is that it was used to mock something that I liked that I thought was good for the game. And so I think the people that made it when they went away, I stopped. Uh, I, I never used the term because it was a mocking term. So I think R&D just doesn't know the term. Although now they'll listen to my podcast. They might relearn the term. That's, that's the danger I have of bringing back old vocabulary. Okay, next, discriminator card. Um, so once upon a time, I think R&D had a wider range of what we allowed in, in sets. Meaning, we allowed ourselves to make worse cards than we currently do. Um, we don't tend to make... Uh, once upon a time, we, we had this belief that 
You want to make cards so bad that even the worst player would instantaneously realize this was a bad card. And we used to call those discriminator cards. And the idea was that at lower rarities, you wanted cards that were bad, but bad at different levels. So as a new player got better, they could slowly learn what cards were the bad cards. Um, we've since found that we can accomplish a lot of that through more niche stuff, where cards that have a purpose, but most of the time, they don't, you know, they're, they're only good in a narrow base, so that it's not that they're bad all the time, but they're bad a lot of the time because they, they have a very specific purpose. Um, so that's why that terminology is not used too much anymore. Hat trick. So a hat trick is, um, so there are three psychic graphics. There's Timmy or Tammy, Johnny or Jenny, and Spike. So um, what a hat trick is, is you make a card that appeals to Tammy and Jenny and Spike all, the, all at the same time. That's a hat trick. Um, the reason I don't think we use this terminology too much more, I, I was the only one that really used it, is I stopped, there was a period in time where we were, we were more labeling who cards were for, and I think R&D got that, like that was early on when I was trying to get people to understand the psychic graphics. Now that people get it, like R&D really, it, it has been pretty ingrained. I mean, the magic public understands it to a certain extent. So I, I don't really need to sort of use some of those ex external terminology anymore. So I don't really talk about hat tricks anymore. Promotable. Um, so this came back in the day that the way the core set used to work was you first had to appear in a magic set before you could appear in a core set. Uh, and sometimes we had cards we wanted in the core set, but in order to be in the core set, we first had to find a place to put them in a normal set. And we call those cards promotable cards, which meant uh, basically what we're saying is really what we're doing is we're making a set we want for the core set. We have to first put it in a, in a expert expansion set because that's, that was the rules of the time. Um, but please name it and you know give the creative to it as if it were a core set card because ultimately it's going to be a core set card. So make sure you give it a, a, a clean and clear enough name and concept. Um, the reason obviously is we don't well we don't even have core sets anymore. And so Magic 2010 forward, we um, we started we, we allowed ourselves to make our own cards. We no longer had to pre had to seed them in previous sets. So the idea of promotable went away. Um, pseudo repeat. Uh, what a pseudo repeat is, is a card that, for one of two reasons, either we print a card, but for flavor purposes we have to change the name, so that it's essentially the same card but just with a different name, or it's essentially the same creature but we've just reskinned its creature type. Um, and, oh, by the way, in order for the second to be true, the creature can't care about a creature type, or can't care about its own creature type. So obviously if I have a card that says, you know, let's say I have a, uh, um, a Viking card that said all Vikings get plus one plus one, and it is a Viking, although, although normally it's not how we do those cards. But let, let's say if that, I wouldn't count it there because the fact that it is the thing, if we change it to a different creature type, it would matter. Um, yeah, the more common way we'll make a card that matters is like a card that'll say sacrifice a goblin, and it will be a goblin. So it lets you sacrifice other things, but also can sacrifice itself. Well, if we move that to make it an elf, or, or a dwarf or something that was red, I guess. Um, that would change, functionally change the card, so that's not a pseudo-repeat. Okay, sticker stock. Um, so one of the things we do is we get incrementals, I talked about this in the first podcast, which are uh, you know so many copies of every card. Um, but we also do a lot of testing in which we have to sticker cards. So eventually what happens is cards that don't get used 
end up becoming the cards we stick our cards onto. And so cards that we thought were weak enough for a while, we used to refer to as sticker stock, which meant, oh, this isn't going to be good enough that we're going to play with it. So later on, when we make stickers, we'll end up using it for stickers. So we refer to it as sticker stock. Um, once again, like I said, we, we've collapsed how sort of, we don't, make, we don't make cards quite as weak as we once did. The Wailuli ability. So this comes from Wailuli Wolf. So Wailuli Wolf is a card in Arabian Nights. Um, and you could tap it to give target creature plus one, plus one. Um, we used to do this ability a lot. It's very strong. Um, we don't, the reason I, I put it here is we just don't use that ability all that much. I guess if we used it, maybe we refer to it. Um, but it's used frequently enough that sort of the slang has fallen away. Okay, next, a sleeper card. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not a sleeper card. A, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, a sleeper card. Uh, a sleeper card, well, a sleeper card and a sucker card. I'll, I'll talk about this the other way. Uh, a sleeper card is a card that people won't think is good when they first see it, but with time will prove to be good. Um, and this comes from uh, other fields where there's a... Uh, the idea is it's just... People won't quite realize that it's the good thing. I think they use it in sports. It's a sleeper team, I think. I think um, a sucker, a sucker card, is a card in which it seems really splashy and exciting, um, but it's not as good as it first seems. Uh, that terminology comes from Magic, actually, uh, uh, the world of Magic, you know, dissertation. Uh, I used to do Magic as a kid. I did a podcast on that. Um, there used to be something we called the sucker trick, where the audience thinks they're in on it. Um, and so I, I sort of named that after those things where like it, it ex a sucker trick in magic excites the players because they think they figured out I'm sorry excites the audience because they think they figured out how you do it but it turns out wah 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 no you didn't um, and a sucker card in magic is like oh wow this is exciting it's not quite so we try not to make sucker cards really anymore I'm not saying we don't inadvertently make some but uh, the goal really isn't to make cards that seem exciting but truly aren't um, we do make sleeper cards still. We, just, we do make cards that are like actually good cards, but might not seem it on the surface. So, okay, now I have to dig back. Those are my terminology that we don't really use anymore. And now I'm going to, uh, a few other things that are just literally, um, I don't know, just random things. So the Mad Farmer. So the Mad Farmer, we used to have somebody in RD that was a prankster. And about, I don't know, a couple times a year, um, they would do crazy things. So I, one time, uh, was going on a trip and Brian Tinsman was going to drive me to the airport and we met him at work and he said, oh, before we leave, uh, I had to run to my desk to get something and I got there and my desk was covered in eggs. When I mean covered in eggs, I put a picture of this on, if you go back to the original, a few, a few words, the, the original column, I have a picture of it. Imagine every possible surface of my desk covered with eggs, like just eggs, and not not that. It was on the floor. Like if you took my cubicle space, every inch of my cubicle, the floor, my chair, my desk, like every space you could stick an egg had an egg on it. Uh, I never found out who the mad farmer was. Um, um, uh, I have some suspicions, but I never actually knew who the who the prankster was. Um, I think Tinsman knows. Maybe it's Tinsman. I'm not sure. Um, but I never, I never found out. Uh, the funny story, the little corollary story there is, um, I used to sit near Worth 
uh, Woolport, who now does Magic Online, Blameworth Network. Um, and he used to exercise all the time. He had a gym bag, and the gym bag was, was kind of smelly. And so there was a smell uh, in our... He, we, we were in the same sort of four-cubicle space, and there's a, a smell that we all kind of assumed was worth gym bag. And then finally what I realized was when they had put eggs on my desk, they had, I had a blank card box to hold like cards that they had stuck some eggs in that I didn't realize. Oh, oh, what happened was I had to go on vacation. Like I saw the eggs, but then I had to leave to go to the airport. So other people cleaned up the eggs. So it turns out there were the eggs that were in this, this um, card box that I hadn't realized. And what we were smelling was, and this was months later, was these rotten eggs from this from my from the mad farmer, um, and then I remember um, picking up the box and then trying to get to the garbage can and like as I shifted the box, like things were popping in the box. Anyway, it was very gross. Um, next, Mark's donut. Uh, so there's a period in time um, that there's a place actually uh, in Issaquah where I live. Um, there was a uh, there was a barbecue. I don't even remember the name of the barbecue place. I, I never went to it. There's a barbecue place that had a hot sauce called The Man that was supposed to be like the hottest hot sauce. In fact, if you come in, they'll, they'll have a little toothpick and they'll give you a little tiny taste of The Man. And if you taste The Man or put The Man on your sandwich or whatever, uh, they'll give you a little button that's like, I met The Man. And so R&D for a while would go out um, to meet The Man at, out in Issaquah. And Issaquah is about half an hour away because I... If you listen to my podcast, you know about how far away it is. Half, half an hour away. Um, so they would do a big lunch where they'd go out and meet the man. So it turns out at the time, Krispy Kremes... There were, at the time, there was one Krispy Kreme Donuts in Seattle, which was in Issaquah. And I didn't live in Issaquah yet. I lived in Renton still. So I said to um, the, uh, the people at the time, I said, if you guys ever go out to... Um, if you ever go out to um, meet the man and you're in Issaquah, I will pay for donuts for all of R&D. Two dozen donuts for all of R&D. Um, if, you guys, if you guys pick them up, I'll pay for it. So the rule was if anybody went out to, uh, if anybody went out to meet the man in Issaquah, they, they were supposed to bring back, and then the way it worked was they would get a dozen plain donuts and a dozen um, mixed donuts. Um, because there's a deal. You could get like two dozen, that dozen for, I don't know, a good price. So I would, anyway, I, I, I had a standing deal that said I would pay for anybody. I go, but I had one caveat. I go, my one caveat is that there's one donut, which is my favorite donut, uh, chocolate cream filled, which is uh, basically it's like a Bavarian cream donut, but there's white cream inside instead of Bavarian cream. My favorite donut, as a kid, I, there's a place that had that that I loved. And then when I came out and I found Krispy Kreme, I realized that Krispy Kreme had that exact donut. It is my favorite donut. And so I said, here's the deal. If somebody goes to out to Issaquah, I will buy two dozen donuts, but you have to leave me my donut. And um, I go, if anybody eats my donut, then they're responsible for buying the donuts next time. So as long as you leave me my donut, as long as you leave me my donut, then I will pay for the donuts. But if anyone ever eats my donut, then they'll have to pay for the donuts next time. So it's really simple. Basically, I just wanted my donut. Um, and it wasn't even the people couldn't eat my donut. There just was a consequence for eating my donut. Um, and, the, and R&D liked the donuts. They were Krispy Kreme donuts. So 
Uh, it became a thing when they would drop off the donuts. Usually, somebody would take my donut, put it on a napkin, and put it in front of my desk because they wanted the donuts to keep coming. So they would give it. Um, and on a few occasions, one time, uh, a guy named Steve, Steve Warner, uh, he was new to R&D, and he came, and he just, did, he just didn't know. And so he ate my donut. He didn't know, and all of R&D were like, oh my God, you ate Mark's donut. How could you eat Mark's donut? And he didn't understand that all it really meant was that he had to pick up the donuts next time. He thought somehow like he had, so he drove, I think he drove out to Krispy Kreme and got me a donut. It was very sweet. That wasn't, uh, but anyway, there's Mark's donut. So there's uh, a long tradition. I mean, the reason that that's, that story is in the past is um, many years back, I, I don't know, I had my weekly, my yearly visit to my doctor and I just gained a bunch of weight and my doctor said, look, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, if you don't lose some weight, uh, you're gonna have a lot of health issues. You're getting older. Uh, and so I made, I, I actually said, okay, I changed how I function. I actually lost like over 30 pounds. Um, but one of the things I changed is I no longer eat sugar during the week. I eat sugar on the weekends, but I don't eat sugar during the week. Um, and so I, uh, I stopped buying the donuts only because I just didn't want, I didn't, well, it was two things. Uh, they don't go out to the man anymore, so they don't even go out to Issaquah anymore. Um, and I don't have sweets anymore. So, be, I don't know. Between those two things, it sort of, over the years, slowly fell off. And uh, um, I don't know. It, it, it has gone on to be a thing of the past. We don't really do the donuts anymore. Um, okay. Nth edition. Uh, that's terminology we used to use when talking about uh, the, basic, the, the, the basic set, the core set. Because um, for a long time, it was like 4th edition, 5th edition, 6th edition. And whenever we were talking about it in the abstract, we called it nth edition. Um, but that terminology is long gone since, even though the core sets are gone, when Ma- with Magic 2010, we changed how we named them. That uh, after 10th edition, it became Magic 2010 because we felt like 11th edition, it just felt like you missed so much of the game. So we went to just naming it after the year. Um, let's see. Wombo Combo. Uh, so there's a guy in the pit for a long time named Sean Carnes who we used to refer to as Captain Volume. Um, there was a period of time that I was the third loudest, I, I think I said this before, I was the third loudest member of the pet. I'm not the loudest, but I was the third loudest at the time. Um, the guy named Robert Cuchero and, and then Sean Carnes was the loudest. And he used to just yell at the top of his lungs every once in a while. Sean was hilarious, by the way. Um, he was, I, I, he has not worked at Wizards in years and years, but he was a great guy. Uh, he was really, really funny. And he just used to go, used to go in rants, but like, like comical, like stand-up comedy kind of rants. Uh, he was very funny, and he used to refer to cards that went together as wombo combos, and uh, he loved combos, and so uh, usually that was a sign of two cards. If, they, if two cards in the set like, really went well together, uh, whenever he saw it, he'd go, wombo combo! Anyway, and that was for a long time a, a joke in R&D. Oh, another thing he used to say all the time is if you said something that kind of was inappropriate, it was called bad touch. Uh, like sometimes he would say something or someone else would say something that was kind of like, oh, maybe I should have said that. You go, bad touch. That was the thing that Sean used to say. And the card Chub Toad from uh, Legends? Uh, Ice Age? Ice Age, I think. From Ice Age. Um, Chub Toad is an anagram of bad touch. Uh, and I think the idea is that the person who's being eaten by the Chub Toad is Sean, I think was the rumor. There's like a hand hanging out of the... Um, and the idea, I think, with the joke was that the, the, the chub toad ate Sean, and so that was bad touch to eat Sean. So uh, 
Anyway, and then Chub Toad was an anagram of bad touch. So there's a lot of little like uh, Easter egg type things. Okay, my final pizza, and luckily I'm almost, I'm almost to Rachel's school, and I've run to my very last piece of. Uh, I, what I did today, because I knew it was raining and I had extra stuff, I, I, I gave myself a whole bunch of extra things, but I'm now coming to the end of it. But luckily, I have one last one. So the last one is called Watsy Time. Um, notice I say Watsy, because this, this comes back from when we refer to wizards as Watsy. So for a while, the way wizard meetings were working, this was all wizards, not just, this is all, all wizards, is meetings would actually start at 10 after. And the idea is, so if you had an 11 o'clock meeting, what it really meant was it started at 11.10. And the idea was that meetings would go all the way up to the hour, and then there was 10 minutes at the beginning of each hour for people to get to the next meeting. Um, but what ended up, ended up happening was that uh, people kind of abused, somehow they like, because of watching time, people felt like, well, the meeting starts at 10, but I can show up at 10.10. So it created this feeling like that I could show up late. Um, and we finally decided, how about we just, a 10 o'clock meeting, for example, starts at 10 o'clock, and then we make sure to end, you know, five or 10 minutes before so people can get to their next meeting. Um, and so Wizard's Time, Wizard's Time went on for quite a while, though. Uh, Wizard's Time and Watsy Time. Um, but uh, I, we really haven't done it probably since the new building. I don't think we've done it. Um, in fact, the, the, the way it, what happened was somebody new, some new CEO came to the company. Uh, I forget which CEO, what, Chuck maybe? Some new CEO came to the company and somebody explained Watsy time to them. And they're like, that, that's just dumb. Why are we doing that? And just said, we're not doing that anymore and just canceled it and changed it back to like, you know what a 10 o'clock meeting is? At 10 o'clock. Um, so anyway, uh, that is all my vocabulary. So what I'm hoping, uh, so I did three podcasts on this, that uh, I just want to let you know that like one of the funds of R&D is that, I mean, magic itself has a lot of slang vocabulary. And some, some amount of the Watsi slang vocabulary or the wizard slang vocabulary, R&D slang vocabulary, is magic slang vocabulary. Um, and also what happens is a lot of time when I tell people what we use for slang, it will pick up. Um, there's a bunch of slang that we use that is used by the public. And in fact, part of me writing this article and doing this po series of podcasts is just introducing some new terminology to you. So when you see a car that says, can't be uh, blocked by creatures two or less, you know, maybe you'll call it daunt, because that's what we call it. Um, in fact, I mentioned that already once in my blog, and people already are starting to... So people tend to default a lot of times to the R&D terminology. So anyway... Uh, I like to mix up the podcast, and I like to do different kinds of things. Like I said, I'm big on language. Language is really important to me. So um, a lot of the slang, in fact, I, I've come up with a good chunk of this slang because it usually represents something where I want, I want to be able to talk about it. I, I talked about this at the end of the podcast yesterday. Um, but I am a believer in language, and so um, and I'll say to all of you, you know, it's, it's fun with your friends. If you have, it is neat to come up with your own terminology and have your own slang and you know, I know a lot of times there's nicknames for cards and things. Um, and some of those nicknames, I love when people share nicknames. Like, we just had a card, what's the real name? There's a card in Kaladesh that is a, uh, like a 1-1 one, one creature for red that ends up becoming a 3, three or sorry, it's a 1-2 it's a creature that ends up getting plus 2, plus 1, I think. Um, but it's reminiscent of the card Curd Ape. And this card is like Curd Ape, but Curd Ape required a forest. And this card requires an artifact. 
So they, they nicknamed it Nerd Ape, which is really cute. That's a really cute nickname. So I, I mean, we also sometimes, uh, you know, the um, audience will come up with nickname stuff, and sometimes that stuff, stuff gravitates to us. So uh, it's a two-way street. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the vocabulary podcast. Um, like I said, I, when I started, I didn't actually expect it to last as long as it did. Um, but I, what I realized is, because of my article, I gave you the short explanation. I like in my podcast to give the longer versions. So when I can tell stories and do stuff like that, I like to do that. So um, anyway, I hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And uh, maybe if enough, we stockpile some more. Or I just come up with some more, more slang that I forgot to do. Maybe I'll do another one of these one of these days. But anyway... Um, I'm now driving up to Rachel's school. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast, the series of podcasts. But as we all know, uh, this means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of uh, talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the show, and I will talk to you all next time. Ciao for now. Bye-bye.